And welcome back once again to the Focus Target Podcast. I am Smiley, and with me as always, Shy and Van. And a couple podcasts ago, we spent some time talking on our question of the day about which franchise we would like to return to its former glory. Well, we had so much fun with that question of the day, we decided to make it an entire episode. So we're going to spend this episode talking about uh, a lot of franchises that we'd like to see make a comeback and some of the reasons why, as well as maybe a couple franchises that we think could use a break. Uh, However, before that, as always, we have our question of the day. And today's question of the day is, what is the most obscure console slash game system that you've ever played. Let me start with Van today. Van, what's uh, what's the most obscure console and game system that you've played, my good friend? Ooh, I get to go first. Um, mine would have to be the Sega CD. It was an adapter or like a, an addition, almost an additional Peripheral. console. Peripheral that actually connected to the Sega Genesis console via some giant, ugly, horrendous port on the side where you'd actually have to take off a panel off your um, Genesis for it to dock. So it's like this weird docking peripheral that allowed you to play Sega Genesis, which was a cartridge, but with a CD, um, like all the other CDs we're familiar with. It was um, really neat. The, the coolest part about that was that for some reason, and I don't know the details behind it or development, but the graphics were really cool. It was really um, simulated as opposed to like cartoony artistic. Um, so a lot of the, the events and a lot of the, the um, visuals looked as real as could be at the time. I think there was another console um, out. Shy, what was your favorite console that you played? The the Dreamcast. Dreamcast. So that used a CD also, right? So it was. It did. Yeah. It was basically Sega's kind of response or simu- simulation of the Dreamcast. Um, it was super cool. One of my favorite games ever playing on it uh, was Sewer Shark. And it was this thing where you had to navigate through the sewer going left and right. And he would call out these places like left, three, six, niner. And that meant like go right one and then go left and all this other stuff. It was really fun. Um, but yeah, the Sega CD, not many people played it. Super cool. Um, look it up. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool peripheral to look at. Well, I think uh, I think the Sega CD wasn't a competitor to the Dreamcast because Dreamcast was Sega as well. I think Correct. it was like it was the it was like the precursor to it, right? Sure. It was pre- kind of their there you go. predecessor. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, exactly. You know the the Sega CD. I never had one, but it had uh, the original Lunar games on it. Were for Sega CD that were eventually ported to PlayStation, where I actually played them. Um, but that's that's interesting. Did you ever play Lunar uh, Silver no, Star when you had the Sega CD? I remember Man, that's, that's Sewer Shark and Texas Ground Zero, which was about shooting aliens. <laughs> uh, but either way, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, pre- predecessor. Not I didn't mean in competition. I meant like it was it right, it was right. very that, similar that makes to sense. the Sega Dreamcast. Shy, what about you? Uh, most obscure gaming console that you've uh, experienced? Um, I mean, I think uh, I think the probably the best example I can come up with is uh, the Virtual Boy. <laughs> if any of you guys remember that, that was like uh, oh my god, I was like forget. after the Game Boy, <laughs> it was there. It was Nintendo's attempt to like do kind of like a version of like virtual reality where like you would put on this headset and it would like project like well, when you project, that you would be basically your eyes would be focused on a, you know a screen of uh, a very. I think everything was black and a red, red I think. screen. Yeah, I think red. they were all yes. red graphics and uh, a little red lasers. Very, very awkward setup. I didn't own it. Um, I, I played it in like stores back when they were trying to sell it, like at Sam's Club and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it was. It was an odd system. Um, it seemed cool at the time, but I don't think it really took off. 
See, the, the reason it's never took off is because everybody just played it in the stores <laughs> and nobody ended up buying <laughs> yeah. it. That's exactly where I played it also. And I remember, I think it was Mario Tennis was the uh, demo that I remember playing on, on that. That's funny. And, I think I played a couple of the demos too, but I, I remember if anyone's played the game WarioWare, where they, uh, like I think it's Game Boy Advance, a number of stages in there are straight out of um, Virtual Boy games. So most of my experience with Virtual Boy actually comes from WarioWare. Kind of bizarre. Nice. Chai, do you have anything else? No. Nope. Start to say something. Sorry. All right. Uh, well, then, uh, to answer my own question, I think I'm going to go a little bit further, and maybe that dates me a little bit, uh, a little bit. But uh, my first console, actually, maybe my first experience with video games before I even had a Nintendo, was my mom had an old Pong machine, uh, which you hooked up directly to the TV like a console and it had four it had a little like switch on it where you could change between four games where you could play classic pong you could play like a like like a kind of version of soccer where you had like a goalie and a and a forward so you had two paddles that you could move uh simultaneously and you could play squash and you could play I think single player squash and, and two player squash um it was about as rudimentary as you can imagine with just a ball and paddles but um and i don't even know if it really counts as a console it's almost really it's just a game but uh it was it was definitely uh it was definitely obscure and i haven't really even seen one since i don't even know what happened to my mom's old uh old console nice well, uh, that's our question of the day. Again, to our, our fair listeners, if you guys have ideas for questions of the day that, you, that you'd like us to answer, please, uh, please do so vigorously. Submit them to us, and we'll provide our contact information at the end of the episode. Uh, so let's talk about franchises that we would like to see a comeback for. Uh, I think we each have a number that we'd like to talk about, but I think the, the one that jumped to both Van and my minds pretty quickly was Final Fantasy XI, a game that we talked about pretty extensively in some of our other podcasts. So we're going to do so again, because we like Final Fantasy XI. So all three of us played Final Fantasy XI for quite some time, and one of the things that that really made me want to put it on this list of things that we would like to see a return of is that there's just not a lot of MMOs out there that are like Final Fantasy XI anymore. There's a... There's just, and we talked about that pretty extensively in another podcast. But but there's there's just a lot of specific mechanics that I I feel like you don't see anymore, and it's because the demand for them is 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 lower. The the mass demand is for more quest based EXP and things that where you can do things yourself. Um, you know, a game that you can really um, pick up and put down very rapidly. Whereas Final Fantasy XI was something that it took a long time. It felt like to do anything of value in that game, but I think that was part of the charm. Uh, Van, what were some of the things that you liked most about Final Fantasy XI? Um, there's a ton of things I loved about Final Fantasy XI. Um, primarily, it was the first game that allowed me to play easily over the internet with a ton of different people. And I actually started playing it on the PlayStation uh, 2, and I had to buy a separate adapter. It came with a hard drive so I can actually load the game. Uh, of course, the CDs to load it, and then I had to buy the 
Um, either it came with it or I had to buy it. I can't remember because it was back in 2002. But the Ethernet um, docking for the PlayStation 2. I think, cause, I, I think you had to buy it because I had to buy one as well when I gotcha. got my PS2 version. Right. So um, what it is is it allows your P- PlayStation 2 to actually work um, on the Internet. So, because normally, you know, it didn't have the uh, NIC cable or anything, like, or the NIC card or anything like that for uh, internet access. So, anyways, um, after I got the PlayStation all set up, uh, the coolest thing to me was just this everlasting world that existed, whether you were in it or not. And that just absolutely fascinated me that while I'm away, logged off or whatnot, the world could be changing, you know, people could be developing and all that stuff could be happening, um, whether I was in it or not. And it, it, it really not only was it you know like the, that that stuff awesome but the fact that um i could play with you know all the other people and everything was it was great and so but i mean so that's something that pretty much all mmorpgs offer though right i mean like i mean that, that you, yeah. you you get you get that in final fantasy 14 or world of warcraft for that matter right. right like what what is it would you say that about 11 that like that you miss that you don't see anymore in in cur- our current stable of mmos that are out there like why why do you long for the days of 11 when that you're not that you can't find in uh something like final fantasy 14 it it goes back to the thing that we talked about before not to sound like a broken record but really the gratification of working a long time and working really hard and being smart about your gameplay to be successful in a game that things weren't handed to you and you really had to work hard you really had to dedicate and i know a lot of people are saying you know hours playing a game doesn't necessarily mean dedication to the game um for example like the level grind where literally if you got on a party and you grinded for three hours you may get one level um towards the higher end of the leveling you might even get half a level but i there was something about that that i absolutely loved was the hard work and hard dedication and and time put into it uh, you know, structuring a party together, finding the correct mobs to fight, that beautiful party dynamic being extremely difficult to where it wasn't just handed out to everybody at any level. You couldn't solo. You had to make friends and be cooperative and social and everything. And and that is just lost to me and all the other games out there. Literally, you can play most of the MMR or RPGs out there right now um, without even partying up to get to max level. Now, of course, once you get to end game, that's a different story. Typically, every single MMO will have a dungeon or a boss fight where it requires more than one person. But to get to the entire end game, you can do that solo. And and I just I long for those days that require work and dedication in order to be successful in a game again. And Final Fantasy XI did that very well, and they made you made you feel good about it too. See, I think I think I think I would touch on something that you said there where it's not so much about the time that you have to put in because you could make the argument that in games like final fantasy 14 require an, an, a, a, an enormous amount of time to, to get a lot of stuff out of um i think it's to me i i very much resonated with what you said about the kind of the tactical requirement right like anybody can get to max level in the new games because all you do is follow the quests right there's not really any thinking involved you go to the npc that has the exclamation point above their head you do what they say usually handheld to where it is on the map and do something menial and come back and get gratuitous amounts of exp whereas in a game like final fantasy 11 one of the things i felt was a real charm about it was the efficiency at which you leveled was highly dependent on those features that you mentioned like how well did you build your party what camps did you camp at what mobs did you fight 
like you could have a, a vast gulf between how much like experience points per hour, which is how things were measured in that game, between you know two parties even at the same level, even fighting the same mobs based on who was in your group and how you were doing it. And I think I think that that feeling of knowing that by by putting in the extra work, uh, you were getting more out of it, was very cool. I think in in the newer stable of MMOs, there's not a there's not a lot you can do to optimize your your questing. You know, like 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 either you complete the quest or you don't. I mean, I guess you could <laughs> suck at reading. Maybe that would hurt you a little bit more. But I don't or know. you could suck at delivering the flowers to the guy who's standing right next to the guy who says, "Hey, go deliver these flowers to that yeah. guy." Yeah, for sure. Uh, Shy, let's rope you in on this a little bit. Like, what do you think? I mean, you played Final Fantasy for eleven uh, eleven for a long time, but I know you don't quite have the the maybe the rose colored glasses that Van and I wear. Is is there anything that you miss from the old Final Fantasy eleven, or or are you do you think that the reason there that there's good reasons that gaming has moved on from that style of game? I mean, I think that I mean, the, I mean, there's unfortunately, I mean, the, I think we all recognize the reason that it's moved on, right? And that's, I mean, vast demand, right? The the majority sure. of the demand doesn't like you said. So I mean, it, it's moved on. Um, I think, uh, I mean, the biggest thing I miss, I think, is, um, I mean, a lot of what you guys have talked about. I mean, I, I have, I agree with that to a certain extent. The thing I miss the most is, I think, just how gear progressed in eleven versus um, in other games, and just like it felt like when you really, really worked hard to get a piece of gear. Because I mean, a lot of the gear in that game, you had to work very hard. I mean, it could, you could work for months to get a months. piece of gear. Yeah. Um, and but when you got that so piece cool. of gear. And like at almost any level, like there's a good chance you would be using that gear for the rest of the time you played the game until they started, you know, doing yeah. the most recent expansions in the last couple of years, which, um, which have really made it more like the current generation of games. Which is why I think most of us don't play it anymore, right? Like to your point, the newer expansions have really brought it more into line with the way other MMOs are, which is the reason some might say, why are we saying we need to, you know, see a comeback of Final Fantasy XI when it's still an active game? Van, has, as you've said to me many times, it's not the same game. Am I right? Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. All the things that we talked about, all the, all the hard work and dedication, and really the only way to level and looking forward to that very next level, even if it was 13 to 14, um, was essentially taken away, in my opinion, with all the new content and all the new expansions they released, specifically with Abyssia, where you can go out with, you know, um, what's called a party of people, and, and they can literally just... Um, blow you through the levels. I I knew people who went from zero to ninety nine on a job because ninety nine I think is a new cap, right? Or was it ninety? Yeah, that's right. Ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, they went from zero to ninety nine in literally overnight, and that's just ridiculous. It takes away essentially all the things that we we're talking about, all the great things um, that made Final Fantasy eleven great to me. Um, of course, with the easier leveling and the, or the soloing capabilities, it probably brought in an influx of new players who didn't play it before. Um, because of the requirement was so difficult that you had to have a full party just to level because it was it was a mob XP grinding uh, leveling instead of quest grinding. Yeah, I mean it really it really goes to show that like games for quote unquote hardcore gamers like that just doesn't make sense as a business model and so that's why you see it get away from that. I just wanted to speak to one thing that you did say though, Smiley, when you were talking yeah, about the EXP per hour efficiency. I think that uh, it's easy to look back on that and be like, man, you know, like if you like like you said, like you put in the time, you can really build a good party. I think unfortunately, a large part of that game was RNG, like just on what jobs you could find and what camp locations you could find. So a lot of times, your party makeup or your EXP per hour could just be determined by what was available. So I mean, maybe you built 
a good party from what you had available at the time, like to recruit people to recruit and camps to get. But I mean, I mean, like, I think it's even maybe looking at a little bit through rose colored glasses to even, even, even say that. Yeah, you know I mean, like, yeah, you had a little bit more power maybe over like the XP you got, but I mean, it also depended heavily on what, you know, on what was, on what was available to you at the time. To sure. Pick from. That's true. And I mean, you know, for every good party that you, you're you in and as good as that can be, you know, it's that much more frustrating when you're in a party that's not very good. Right. So that's that's a fair point. That's the other side of the the other side of the coin. And I think uh, just just to talk, just to just to, just to piggyback on that really quick. Um, I mean, you did talk about like how, you know, like like. Where's the XP efficiency in new MMOs? You know, like, can you not, you know, would it be, I mean, is reading comprehension like the new, you know, is that the determining factor? I wonder, I mean, if you remember in 11, a party could be crippled by someone having to leave suddenly. Like, you could wait an hour yeah. to get a party together, spend like 15, 20 minutes for everybody to gather in the same location, pull, get like five minutes of EXP in, and someone's like, oh, my, my mom came home, I have to go do homework, or I, like, my wife's here, I need to, like, go take her or something. And all of a sudden, you lost, like, your tank, you know, and then you basically, like, like, the nice thing about new MMOs, I guess, is like the NPC never like walks away for like an hour, so you can't get EXP at all. You know, I mean, at least it's more maybe maybe more of a constant, a constant flow of EXP. Um, yeah. Well, and let's be fair. Like, it's it's not really right to compare those two games because the focus is completely different. You know, in, in the new MMO style, the focus isn't on leveling. That's not the game, as as you mentioned, I think, or, or maybe Van. Uh, the the emphasis is on the end game. That's where. That's where the money's being made, right? That's where the content is, is in in-game. And getting there is just kind of a, is really kind of a, something. Like I almost don't even know why they do it anymore. Ostensibly, it's to learn your job. But I feel like a lot of games, as we've talked about a little in the past, don't do a great job of teaching you um, the way they used to. So, uh, I don't know. It, it, it seems like it's, you know, to compare the leveling in these two games, they, they, they have different agendas, Right. In the newer games, you're just trying to get to the end game, whereas I think originally in Final Fantasy XI, at least, the leveling was the game, and the end game stuff was just kind of stuff that they added on to keep the game going. But, so, uh, yeah, go the ahead. resurrection of the franchise, what I would like to see is Final Fantasy XI pre-Abyssia, and I know there were servers, private servers out there like that, but even with the private servers, it's just not the same. There's too many glitches, too many hiccups, and in a game which requires a lot of dedication and is extremely fun when it's rewarding, it's not worth the risk um, of playing on a non-dependable server, or private server that somebody's hosting out of their basement. Sure, yeah, I agree. I think Van and I did try working on a private server of Final Fantasy XI, and uh, it was cool, and there was a lot of nostalgia, but uh, it's just not the same, you know, I guess it just goes to show how difficult it is to run, a, a you know, an MMO in this day and age. Like, it's hard to do for one person, I think. Um, but yeah, I think it would be cool to see a game like that. I mean, I don't think anything can ever recapture what Final Fantasy XI was, partially because, as we've mentioned multiple times, uh, we have we have a nostalgia factor about it, right? Like, it's always better in our minds than it was in reality. But right. I think it'd be great to see a, a game that, that took on that type of gameplay, that focused on leveling, that focused on kind of a, you know, more meticulous pace. Um, I'd be interested to see how well that could do, even if it didn't have the biggest biggest fan base you know if it had a, a dedicated group of people if, if if that could still be successful but all right enough about Final Fantasy 11 we could probably talk about forever shy uh what do you think next what kind of franchise would you like to see what's at the top of your list um at the top well, all right so i mean i mean and i think all of us may be in the same boat but you know like we said you know we obviously touched on this last you know the, the question of the day and at the top of the list i would always be would always be warcraft 3 but sure um the top of the list today 
um, is the Burnout franchise. This was a franchise that I, I played extensively through high school and college, um, starting with Burnout 1 um, through Burnout 2. I played a ton of Burnout 2 and um, never really got into, um, I think what the next one was Burnout Paradise, I think was the was the last one. I never really played that one, but uh, I, I played so much Burnout 1 and 2 in high school and college and um, just loved the crap out of those games. Um, you know, I, yeah. I was just gonna say, I, I Burnout's one of those games that could have gone on my, uh, you know, on on one of the the series. I think we did a question of the day that was like series that you best series you never played or something like that. Um, I probably could have could have said something about that because the Burnout games were games I always found fascinating and I'd seen them, I'd seen videos on them, but I just never. I never picked one up myself, and I feel like I've done myself a disservice because it looked like a game that was just a ton of fun to play. Yeah, I mean, so the the beauty of the Burnout series is that it, it's not a racing sim, and there's a lot of you know, there's I mean, there's so many racing games out there. I mean, just it's you know, I mean, there's a plethora of of racing games you could say, and so like, so what do you play? You know, what I mean, like I know Van's a big fan of Gran Turismo, and I know like you know for the Xbox crowd, like Forza is a big one, and you know, I mean, like you know, there's just you know the rally racing scene, and and um, and I tried some of those in the past, but I remember picking up Burnout for the Xbox, and it was just it just something about it clicked. Like it was a beautiful game, it was fast, um, and and uh, and it was just and in, and in the the big thing with Burnout, and I'm sure anybody who's played them knows this, um, a big mode in Burnout is the crash mode, and so they have a mode, and I'm trying to remember how that was implemented in in the first one. I know in the second one they definitely had it like a definitely had a crash mode in and of itself, where basically you would like drive a vehicle into an intersection and be, like a busy cars and try to cause as much devastation as you could, and just like you know see how much like damage like you could rack up and you could play with friends and you could compete for high scores. Um, oddly enough, like what was weird for Burnout One, um, you know Xbox I think was one of the first consoles, if not the first console that came with that came with a dedicated hard drive. I know the PS2 had like a hard drive add-on you could buy for it but the xbox actually came with a built-in one and uh, and burnout um allowed you because you could download music to your xbox you could actually have a playlist of your own music playing in the background while you while you raced and i remember that just being a huge deal i used to listen to all my tunes while playing like while racing all these tracks and it was just i don't know it was just a great that's, experience that's funny because if you recall from a couple of podcasts ago van said that was one of the things he remembered from doom is that right Am I yeah. getting that right, man? Like, it's funny how that's apparently that's a common theme. Like, it must be it's a cool feature. I've never had a game that's really done that before. But, Van, you are a big uh, racing guy. I know you've talked about Project Cars and things I like am. that. What did you ever play the Burnout series? I did, and as a matter of fact, I I agree. Um, I'm a big simulator fan, so I will tend to play the simulators a lot more. Like um, Shy said, as far as the Gran Turismo's and Project Cars and whatnot, I like the tuning aspect of it. Um, the lowering aerodynamics, all that stupid stuff that nobody else likes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, when I picked up Burnout, it was a really, really, really fun arcade style game to me as well. And I actually played it on the PSP, the uh, Burnout Legends, and I played the crap out of that game. It, which is funny because um, it's a handheld, con- obviously the PSP was the, the uh, PlayStation uh, Portable, and it... it just worked really, really well for me on the handheld. And then I tried buying Burnout on PlayStation 2, I think, when one of them came out. And for some reason, it just didn't have the same feel to me. It didn't It didn't click. Maybe it's because there aren't simulators on the PlayStation Portable, but um, Burnout worked really well. And the soundtracks, I remember being awesome, being cool, being edgy, and just a lot of fun. So I, I agree with Shy. That, that would be really cool to see come back. Yeah, I, again, having not played it, I always felt that it was obvious to me that the thing that Burnout captured the best was speed. 
Like, and that's what you want. Like, you want to feel like you're going fast. And in some of the racing simulators that I've played, I that's the thing I feel like it lacks a lot of times, you know. And maybe that's to keep it more realistic. But I think it's cool when you're playing a racing game and you just feel like you're going a million miles an hour. All right, I'm going to talk next about a game that none of you have ever heard of. And so I'll keep it brief. But um, there's a game for the Nintendo the old Nintendo Entertainment System, and it's called Bandit Kings of Ancient China. Um, I'm sorry, what? Bandit Kings of Ancient China. It's uh, a game that many of you may be more familiar with the franchise by Koei called Romance in the Three Kingdoms. It's uh, the same kind of storyline and characters that the Dynasty Warrior games are based on, but it's kind of a turn-based simulation game where you take control of one of the rulers of China and try during the Three Kingdoms era of ancient China, and you try to kind of take over China and bring peace to the land. So Bandit Kings of Ancient China is made by the same company, and uh, it's kind of the same idea, but one of the things that made Bandit Kings very cool was that it it was one of the first games of its type to incorporate RPG elements into it. So you would get your heroes, but you could do a lot of things to kind of strengthen their dexterity, which would help them be better archers in battle, or their strength, which would make them better fighters in battle, or their wisdom, which would help them complete different tasks or perhaps even use magic if it was high enough. Um, it the the thing I loved about it was it was very simple. I think in the modern day, the romance of, of the Three Kingdom games have I don't even know how high they are. I should have researched it beforehand. There's there's at least ten or eleven of them, and they've gotten very complex in a lot of ways, and they're very uh, you know they they're they, since there's so many iterations of it, they keep trying to add different features. But one thing I thought was great about Bandit Kings was it was very simple. It you know it has a simple premise. There's an evil overlord, and you've got to wrest control of China away from him, and you're competing with other bandit kings to try to do so. So if anybody uh, is interested in that kind of game, I definitely suggest you check out Bandit Kings of Ancient China. And if you, you know, work for Koei and you hear this, don't forget about this little gem that you created many, many years ago that has brought countless hours of joy to me and my family. See, I, I wish they... I could... Go ahead, Chuck. <laughs> Sorry, but no, I was going to say, like, if anyone from Koei heard this, they would release Bandit Kings of Ancient China Warriors, and it would be a third person. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I would play that. I would totally play The coolest thing about that, too, is um, they used... So the cool thing about Bandit Kings that I didn't mention is it, it's also based loosely on the um, 108 Stars of Destiny that Suikoden uh, is the same kind of mythology, if anyone's played the Suikoden series. In fact, Bandit Kings of Ancient China's Japanese name is actually Suikoden. That's what it was. That was what the the Nest ver- or the Famicom version is called, um, and all the characters have like really fucking badass names. Like they don't use their Chinese names. They have like names like Nine Dragons or Bold Eagle or Heavenly King. Like man, I, I would totally play a Band of Kings Warriors. That would be dope. Sorry, Van. Bandit, you were going to say something. Do you have something, Van, about Bandit no, Kings? No, the wisdom of Bandit Kings? Really? Negative. Uh, it's a shame you guys doing yourself a disservice by not playing. Greatest games you guys have never played. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Um, Van, what's your next one? So here's one that I'm going to have a lot of people backing me with, and then I'm going to have a lot of people rolling, rolling their eyes also. Um, the next one that I have is going to be the Half-Life series. So... Um, 
as everybody knows, Half-Life is developed by Valve. Uh, the Half-Life 2 was the last one to release. That was back in 2004. So we're talking over a decade ago. Um, so what made Half-Life uh, extremely good or really entertaining to me was its innovation, um, not only in the engine that it uses, which was a source uh, engine for graphics, which were just absolutely stunning in 2004, but also the AI. I remember being one of the first games where I would walk by an AI character, an artificial intelligence character who was standing there acting as a guard or whatnot, and my character um, playing the role of Gordon Freeman would walk by the AI and his eyes would actually track you. Like You felt like you were actually in the game um, walking around and the immersion. I'm a big immersion guy. I talk about it all the time, but it really made you feel like you were part of the game. It was so cool just having those minor nuances of the AI even just paying attention to you when you're walking by. Um, of course, with that also came um, more intelligent AI as far as um, in the first-person shooter being able to shoot you, um, where you shoot them, whether it was the shoulder. It was the first time you'd actually see their shoulder fall back instead of just like a regular generic coding for an, a character being shot, which, you know, whether you shot him in the leg or the head or whatever, they had that same look. Um, what Half-Life 2 did differently was if you shot him in the shoulder, his shoulder would fly back, shot him in the torso, he'd kind of hunch over legs, you know, he might be, might have a broken leg or something. So it was just really cool, really innovative, which is why I want a Half-Life 3. And the biggest reason I want a Half-Life 3 is not just because of how enjoyable Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2 were, but I want to see what they do with three that was such a wow factor that i got out of one and two when they were released um you know gravity gun was incredible it was a weapon that you can use in a game that i've never seen before which was literally just that it was this weapon that had gravity at it so you can either have um, positive gravity which would attract something like a barrel and then you can go straight to negative uh, all that kinetic energy negative gravity and shoot that barrel at someone you could even grab people with the gravity gun. So just a really lot of cool concepts. They were definitely on top of their game um, when it came to it, when it came to innovation. So I just super excited. I want to see what's going to happen with three, if it ever comes out. Uh, fingers well, crossed. That group, that group did portal also, didn't they? Wasn't that the they same portal, team that did portal? They did counter strike. It's They're all in known, the same engine. known for a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of ingenuity that's for sure right and we talked a little bit i think in the past too about how isn't half-life 3 something of an internet joke as far as never going to be released oh yeah so I i'm mean, not gonna it's... participate with that that's very <laughs> hurtful <laughs> you're a joke walter cronkite <laughs> all right uh anything else on half-life no, I've, I've said it all. That's a good pick. I think uh, I think Half-Life, I think there's a lot of people who would agree with you on that. Uh, Shy, what else you got? Um, my uh, my next game would be, um, and kind of and a game that represents a genre, would be Vigilante 8. Are either of you guys familiar with this game? No. Van, I'm going to take your silence uh, as no. Yeah, sorry. Um, all right, so this was a competitor with Twisted Metal, actually. Um, and this oh. I would consider probably my favorite game on the PlayStation Ooh. of all time, probably. Um, and me and my college roommate used to get in long debates about which was better, Vigilante 8 or uh, Twisted Metal. And I think neither of us had really played a lot of the competitor. Like, I never put a ton, a ton of time into Twisted Metal, and he never put a ton of time in Vigilante 8. But this game, um, so it's a car combat game um, with multiple different cars, multiple different vehicles, multiple different weapons. And, um, and it's just, I mean, like, I, I feel like that genre doesn't really really exists today and maybe you guys can correct me but i don't really feel like there is a a car combat genre i remember i think i, I think the, the isn't, combat... the, isn't the wipeout series kind of like that the wipeout series i think so i don't know if that's even still around that much but 
Yeah, I mean, I know they resurrected Twisted Metal, I think, maybe on the PS3 they had a game that came out or something yeah. like that. But, uh, no, Wipeout, wipe, uh, no, Wipeout's more linear. I think Twisted Metal's, what, kind of like arena-based? Yeah, exactly. Wipeout, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wipeout, yeah no, wipeout's, wipeout's very track linear It's track, but, it, but it's still car combat, right? Don't you get weapons? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about arena. I'm, I, so, so you're, talking, so you're talking about point, more like That's a, a good point. Okay, like, okay. like, the whole point of the ba of the game is to defeat the other cards. So, okay. so Vigilante was sure. the same. It was a direct competitor of the Vigilante with, uh, with Twisted Metal. Now, what made, what made Vigilante 8 awesome, and what I don't think Twisted Metal had, you guys can correct me on this too, is the weapons. So basically, like, each vehicle had, like, a special weapon. Each vehicle had its own stats. You know, like, you could, like, drive school bots that had, like, high armor but slow speed. You get, like, these little sports cars that were fast. But, you know, they had different stats. But the big thing was you could pick up weapons on the field and the weapons you could either activate the weapons normally by just firing them like there was like a mine layer and there was like a rocket launcher um you know homing versus dumb fire but um but you and like a mortar but you could enter combat commands similar to a fighting game to have the weapons do special moves and i thought that was amazing when i was playing like you could basically enter a certain string of commands with the mine launcher instead of it dropping one mine it would drop like a field of mines but you know it would use up more ammo and so like there was a lot of strategy like do i want to do this right now do i want to like use up my ammo to like hopefully like maybe knock something out and and i don't like i you i mean do you do twisted metal have a feature like that i don't know maybe neither of you guys were really into twisted metal either but uh, i was thought that was not. really cool um, and the other big thing about Vigilante 8 that I loved, and also one thing I don't know the Twisted Metal had, but uh, but it had it had a lot of destructibility. Now this game came out in 1998, and like almost the, like there was like a there was a there was one of the battlefields was in Reno, like. Um, <clears throat> like out in the open and you could like blow you could like blow buildings so like you could knock down almost anything you could see and i thought you know at that time that was fairly new like having destructible environments and it was just yeah. kind of like the game was very cool um and and i just I, I i there's a special place in my heart for car arena car combat games i'd love to see uh, them come out with a, a new game that that kind of does some of that stuff you know i don't know if you've heard about this game it remind you talking about this made me think of it um it's not quite car combat but uh there's a new game out called rocket league yes uh, have you heard of that where you it actually was free on oh, PS Plus. Man, it was free on ps plus yeah oh last month how yeah. did i miss that i, I missed I don't that. Know. free games that's that's ridiculous yeah it's uh it, it seems pretty cool like you zip around and plays yeah. like soccer in cars which is kind of crazy yeah it, it looks really cool yeah i mean that's, that's, that sounds cool i never played really visual i never even heard of vigilante 8 i don't think i've i've played twisted metal a very little bit but not not really very much but i mean car combat games can be really cool especially if uh if anybody you guys ever played rock and roll racing uh that was one of my favorite games for the super nintendo which it was still track based but it, it focused heavily on car combat and one of the things i liked about it was you could upgrade things as you went as you went through the through the tracks and so it's it was cool to have like some upgradable stuff to work on and still be trying to blast each other and it had great rock and roll music which i'm partial to uh so the next game i'm gonna i'm gonna spin a couple out here i'm, I'm just gonna touch very briefly on them because they're just games that uh, i think would be awesome just to see again um one of them's ogre battle 64 and uh, you'll have to forgive me if they've actually released some kind of sequel to ogre battle 64 if they have i, I haven't heard about it maybe i'm just missing it but uh i thought ogre battle 64 was a really unique game um it as may not surprise you came out for the nintendo 64 and was actually the reason i bought a nintendo 64 back in the day uh and it was is 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 a very interesting mix of uh, turn-based strategy and real-time strategy. It was like it was kind of it was kind of a strange hybrid where you would move around the map kind of real-time, and when you got close enough to enemy units, you would engage them in battle. Um, and the battles were kind of RPG style. It was very high fantasy, like had a cool story. Um, and I just I've never played a game like it since. Like there's been no game that uses those kind of mechanics. 
Um, and I just thought it was really cool. Like you would build different part. Your units would be like parties from a normal RPG. So you'd want to, you usually want to balance out your parties. Maybe you'd have some frontline fighters and some casters in the back, maybe a healer. And so you built these different parties and you would deploy them around the map. And uh, there's just, there's a ton of strategy to it, um, which I thought was really uh, interesting. And, I, and I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been something like that because it seemed like a cool formula. Either of you guys ever play Order Battle 64? No, man. Dude, I would just love to see your collections, finally. You've you've seen my collection. You've been to my house multiple times. <laughs> I've seen it. I haven't read it. <laughs> I've heard you talk about the Ogre Battle game before. You've talked about your love for it. I thought it was a tactics game when you used to talk about it, so that really surprises me that that's well, not, uh, a, yeah, not what it is. Well, Ogre, there is an Ogre Tactics series, and that has been a little bit more popular, and it's the same world. But it's, I think it's an NX-based game, um, or NX-produced game, I should say. And so it, it's the same kind of lore and world uh, as the whole series, like the Ogre series. But uh, Ogre Battle was was not a traditional tactics game. It was, like I said, it was a hybrid. It was it was different, and it was very cool. Um, there's, there's also a Super Nintendo version called Ogre Battle uh, March of the Black Queen, which I played a little bit of. But I really like the N64 version a little bit better. Uh, the other game I want to touch on just very briefly is an old Nintendo game called Ice Hockey. Um, not to be confused with Blades of Steel, which was the much more popular. Real. Yes, there you have it. Uh, that was the one that everybody knows. But Ice Hockey was actually the first party uh, Nintendo game. It has it features Mario as a referee, uh, as the like center ice referee who drops the puck. And it was a very simple game. It didn't have the NHL license, so it was international teams. They didn't have any players or anything like that. But the real draw to this game, I felt, the thing that made me fall in love with it and still lets me play it even up to today, is you would control both your skaters and your goalie simultaneously, which was very difficult, but it was also very cool because you really felt like you were in control and you made every save or you missed every save and let your opponent score. Um, I don't know if such a game could be remade. I think it would still have to be remade kind of in a 2D way. I think 3D you know, 3D models and big arenas and great graphics would make it hard to try to control multiple things at once. But um, it would be cool to see a game like that. Like, honestly, I wouldn't even need a, a huge remake. I'd just like to see it brought to, brought to like a PlayStation Network or something where you could, where you could boot it up and play with, play with other people, you know, slap an NHL license on it and get all the NHL teams or something like that. I just think that'd be really cool. What do you think, Shy? You got a couple? Uh, got another one in you? Yeah, I just got some same to you, kind of quick. Um, I like to see home DDR cons, uh, games come back. Um, you know oh what I mean? Like goodness. we haven't had a we haven't had a home D like I man, I don't know. I love I love Dance Dance Revolution, and when you could actually buy them for current consoles, I mean, you can still buy you know a PS2 version and go out and buy an old PS2 and uh, you know try to set all that stuff up, but it's kind of a hassle, you know. But uh, in college, I played I played so much Dance Dance Revolution, and I was honestly in much better shape because of it. Um, and I was actually pretty decent. But uh, I would love to see something like that come back. I know that um, you know, like some like I think Ubisoft's try to do something similar to that with like Just Dance. But I gotta get my I gotta get my fix of Japanese music. You know, like I I, I don't know. I listen to the Just Just Dance soundtrack and like one tenth of the songs appeal oh, you to don't me. Dance like, the I'm not Justin gonna... Bieber. And... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that would be. I would love to see uh, them to bring them bring that back. And maybe there's just not enough demand. You know, maybe like the peripheral. You know, nobody wants to buy a mat, or I don't know. Are you well, saying just... Butterfly is better than Miley Cyrus? <laughs> oh my That's yes. what you're telling me. <laughs> well, just as an aside to all you listeners out there, I have actually seen Shy 
do some DDR in an arcade live, and I will admit he's pretty good. In much worse shape than I was in college. <laughs> he he took care. He took, he handled his he business. He did. He though. handled his business. All right, Van, one more for us, then we're going to take a break. What do you got? Sure. Um, I'll keep it short. Um, the last one I have that I really want to see, and, and this is an interesting one because it's not really a franchise, so to speak, that's been released. However, um, DayZ was a mod from the Arma 2 engine, and it was a mod by a genius coder named Dean Hall. And what made that game so amazing was literally the just rawness, the game was all about killing you there was no storyline there was nothing uh it was literally just about survival and i remember the average time of survival um after even there was a million players the average time of survival was like 21 minutes where everything in that game was out to get you nothing was given to you start out with a flashlight and that's about it um even the controls were really terrible and clunky but the game itself was amazing because it, it, it again going back to that Final Fantasy XI and all things we loved about Final Fantasy XI was if you worked hard and you worked long and you kept at it you would eventually become at a place where you were somewhat more powerful than the other individual um, whether you had that auto rifle and they were sitting there with um, you know a, a, a Russian pistol or something like that but getting the weapons was really cool what made that game really fun for me was it was probably my first permadeath game and what I made my permadeath is all that stuff that you earned um, while you know scrounging around buildings and cities and whatnot. Once your character died, that stuff was done with the character, and you literally had to start bare bones again with a flashlight. Maybe try to run to your body if you remember where it was, and try to loot the stuff before the person who killed you um, did. But it just was a really cool element and almost like a social experience or experiment about what would happen during an apocalypse. And I know it's a video game, so you can't, you got to take it with a grain of salt, but it was crazy to see the evolution of people where, when the game was first released, um, people were a lot more friendlier. They weren't quick to shoot where towards the end, everybody you saw just essentially killed you instantly because they were all afraid and people's, uh, people's mind just changed. It was really neat. And if you if you go into this briefly, I know they originally slated to make it a full-on release on its own, but it seems like that didn't really happen. Yeah, Bohemia picked it up. They were supposed to be um, released the official game in um, 2013, I believe, was the full standalone. It's out right now in alpha, um, but the game came out. The mod was out in 2012. They were going to release it, I guess, in 2013, end of 2013, de December, um, but it never came to fruition. It's still in alpha. They're still updating it, so I don't want to take that away from them. But the main creator, Dean Hall, I know he separated for a while. I don't know if he's back, um, but Bohemia is still working on it. They still have a team. They're just, in my opinion, dragging their feet, and people, I think, might be losing interest by this time. Interesting. I All right, ladies. Oh, shy, please. I was just saying, take a break. The interesting thing about everything we've talked about is that this is a mod, right? I mean, like, it'd be interesting, and I'm sure these numbers exist, but it'd be interesting to see how many copies of Arma 2 sold just because of DayZ. Because I know I bought Arma 2 just yeah, to play DayZ with you guys. Same, like, same I think a lot of people did that. I think that this kind of, you know I mean? I think this is actually kind and of a, a selling point for that game. I do want to say that when Smiley's crawling at me with a broken leg, he looks a lot like a zombie. <laughs> uh, bad memories. So we're not going to talk about that instead. We're going to take a break. We'll be back after these messages from some rap artists. Smiley, can I get a Super Mario rap? What? I don't do Super Mario raps. It's childish. Alright, let me tell you, suck, something you didn't know. The hidden truth about Luigi and Super Mario. 
Two plumber brothers who created a nation after popping some shrooms and having whack hallucinations. The mushroom kingdom and it's just a backyard. It's them acid trippy shrooms that make it look so bizarre. So you wanna you in so unless you wanna scrap with a turtle named Bowser, stay away from the shrooms and them funky fire flowers. Yeah, it's a me, Mario. That's, that's right. Thanks, and Smiley. And we're back now with Focus Target, the podcast. And I'd like to remind you what they I'm say. I'm lightheaded. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I bet you That are. was a long rap. All right. Um, it was a long rap. I thought that one was all right, though. That was better than some of the past ones. But we're going to get back to the topic and the topic at hand. We've talked about a number of franchises that we would love to see reincarnated on current generation consoles. But you know what? There's a lot of franchises out there that could use a break. One of our listeners of the past asked me the question, what franchises did I think could use a break? And at first I thought, man, why would you ever take a franchise away? But, you know, after giving it some thought, we've actually come up with some franchises that maybe maybe could use a little time off. And uh, I'd like to start with Van on this one. Van, what's the number one franchise you can think of that maybe it wouldn't hurt for them to take a couple of years to just let regenerate? You know, it doesn't hurt for them, but it hurts me to say this. And I think my number one franchise that could take a break is the Pokemon series. Pokemon! One of my favorite series of all times, absolutely dominated on the Nintendo portables, all the way from the original brick to the color to everything that was amazing about um, Nintendo handhelds. What was your but, first? What color was your first Pokemon? My, the color of my first Pokemon was it red oh, or I was blue? A Charmander. Oh, uh, dude, I was no, all fire. Oh, so you Pokemon Red? I did. Right. I did Red. Yeah, I did I Red. See. My buddy had blue. I my did. buddy uh, Bentendo, who's going to be on next week's podcast, by the way. Bentendo had uh, blue, and we 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 platted it. If there was yeah. such a thing back then, we did 151. But the reason I think Pokemon needs to take a break right now is it's become too big. Um, the game itself was amazing, but it's literally been a clone of itself ever since the first one came out. Yeah, they added female characters and everything, but unfortunately, they also added. Um, literally, I think there's like 700 and something Pokemon. I don't know the exact number. But what made the original Pokemon fun was the fact that you could collect them all. That's exactly what the phrase was. Um, collect them all. Or gotta catch them all. So um, there was 150, 151 um, is debatable. But there was 150, 151. Now there's about 700 and something. You need to own like multiple video games. And I don't even know how many hours it would take. I'm sure there's thousands of people out there who have done it. But for me... It's the game that needs to take a break. There's too many dang Pokemon, and it's not even achievable anymore, in my opinion. Back in my day, we only had 150 Pokemons. Do you feel like it's uh, like what? a cash cow these days, man? Like, think they're just like, milking it for all it's worth? Like, Pikachu. Uh, I absolutely do think that the only reason is because it's a cash cow. And, you know, maybe it's it's all that um, Nintendo handhelds have going for them lately. Oh, there's a lot of good games on Nintendo handhelds. I will challenge that, but that's a, that's okay. a topic for another podcast. But uh, I will say that I mean, Pokemon's still obviously very popular with younger generation. Like my son, who's uh, who's, who's 12, you know, went through a big Pokemon phase a couple years ago, um, and I know a lot of his friends did as well. So it's you know, for us gamers who maybe played the originals when they came out. It seems like a lot, but for a younger generation, they don't remember when there was 150. They just like there's always been, you know, six, seven hundred. So uh, I think that's part of it as well is that they're still getting a lot of mileage from new, new gamers. Absolutely. Do I blame them for releasing Pokemon's every single year? Absolutely not. I would be doing the same thing. But do I personally need it? Think it needs to take a break? 
Um, to answer the question, yes. All right, fair enough. Shy, what about you? What kind of franchise would you like to see take a break? Um, I I think that uh, I'd like to see Halo take a break. Um, and I think it's funny because similar to Van, like this is a this is a franchise that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, I was I could be labeled as uh, a former Halo fanatic back in my college and and high school days. I mean, I had uh, I bought collector's editions of the games. I'd read the novels. I had like action figures if you've read the novels that that means you're pretty you're pretty deep i will say though the first novel is actually a pretty decent novel i've actually gotten my dad to read that novel which uh <laughs> is uh, is something to be said um this is a your dad's novel <laughs> exactly um no but I, I i i really do love halo and i think it could be debatable but i think it had a it had a storyline that spoke to me like i liked halo a lot for its story it had great multiplayer you know it did a lot for the shooting franchise but i thought i really like that sci-fi idea the single soldier facing against this alien horde and just like his progression through the games as he kind of like you know saw his fight through you know and and i think that um you know i think that uh I would have honestly loved to see Halo 3 be the last in the series, and then they brought Halo 4, and then, you know what I mean, and, and now they're working on a new one, Halo Guardians is coming out soon, I think it's coming out, I forget if it's coming out this winter or if it's in the spring, but it's coming out within the next um, annual year, and and I just, I don't know, I'd like them to see, I'd like to see them, like, bring that story to a close and move on to a new to a new IP, and I mean, and, and, and obviously Bungie has done that, Bungie moved on to Destiny, but obviously Microsoft, you know what I mean, like, it's that whole cash cow milking the franchise kind of thing, they couldn't let it go, you know, they had to, they had to bring in 343 and, and have them, you know, continue working on it. When, do you think that's partially because of the success of Mario? I mean, Halo is the closest thing that that uh, Xbox has to a flagship franchise. Uh, and I can see them looking at the Mario and the way Mario has carried the Nintendo consoles for generations and saying that we want we want something like that, and Halo is the closest thing they have to it. I think, I mean, and that's, I mean, I think this would be, this would actually be possibly a very good podcast topic to talk about maybe about what kind of crowds, like, different consoles attract and, like, what kind of demographics consoles, you know, um, are built off of. But I think that at one point, I think you were right. I think during the original trilogy, I think the Halos were very important, right? That's actually why I stuck with Xbox through Halo 3. That's why I bought my 360 was because I wanted to continue the Halo franchise. But obviously, I didn't buy an Xbox One and Halo 5 wasn't that big of a deal. And I think that consoles are a lot more now. Well, I think, I think people are a lot more interested in cross platform games nowadays. And that may not, they may not be, maybe I'm overstepping my bounds but i think that um game exclusivity is i think it is somewhat less of a co- of a console seller as you know as it used to be sure well it makes sense i mean a console is so expensive now if you're gonna shout four or five hundred dollars it's hard to justify it just for one game like you need a stable of games that's that's very true uh, all right uh i'm gonna talk about a game series that is near and dear to all of our hearts, I think, and that's the Final Fantasy franchise. I've played Final Fantasy franchise since the beginning. My stepdad got Final Fantasy 1 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. It launched the person that I am today. Um, it just opened new doors of like sci-fi fantasy for me. Like It's been a great series. I've played all the main series entries, many of the spin-offs. But I think a lot of people would agree that just kind of the quality of the game has really kind of stepped down from you know the 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 golden age of Final Fantasy VI, VII. Uh, you know, like the more recent games have not been as well received in a lot of ways. They've seen dumbed down and maybe broadened for mass appeal. Um, they've kind of gotten weird a little bit. Really, kind of starting with Final Fantasy VIII. Like like a lot of them are now more sci-fi and have some weird fiction in them. Uh, and not to say there haven't been any good games. And, and a lot of people liked Final Fantasy XIII, uh, which was the last 
single player entry into the series. But uh, I, I can tell you that like for I'm really not that excited about Final Fantasy 15. I'll probably look into it, but uh, like I'm not I'm not chomping at the bit for it. And I think that the series I wouldn't like to see it go away, but I'd like to see them take take some time where they don't try to top their previous conquest. I'd like to see them take a step back and just kind of maybe focus on making a game that doesn't maybe have to live up to the Final Fantasy lineage. If that was makes there, sense. Was there ever a time when you were chomping at the bit at Final Fantasy 15? Mm, not really. I wasn't really okay. excited for Final Fantasy 13. I only played it because uh, one of my friends sold it to me used. He said he had it, he played it, he finished it. He was thinking about selling it back to the game store, but he thought if, you know, if I wanted it discounted, I could take it. And I was like, yeah, why not? I'll give it a try. Um, really, I think Final Fantasy XII was the last game I was really excited for. And it was an okay game, but I, I never finished it. I never finished eleven. Um, I'm working on finishing ten through the remastered right now, but I never finished that originally. I never finished nine. I think Final Fantasy VIII is the last console Final Fantasy in the main series that I actually played to completion. And that I didn't finish when I originally played it. I actually had to go back and finish it fairly recently. So... Like gotcha. They, they yeah, just the reason, don't hold me the way they. Used I was to. excited about fifteen for because I know what Final Fantasy could be from playing, you know, seven, eight, nine, and whatnot. Um, and I was really excited for fifteen, but they've just been dangling the carrot in front of my face for far too long yeah, for me to be yeah, excited exactly. about it anymore. And that's that's why I was asking you: Were you excited in the past? And if so, was it because they took so long to really release it? Um, you know, is that what what dwindled uh, your your passion? I don't think for so. It? I mean, I think maybe I, I'm actually more encouraged by that. I'd rather see them take their time and. Like I, you know, as we talk about with a lot of these series, it doesn't, it doesn't generally bode well when they're kicking out a new game in the franchise sure. every every nine months. So I, I actually am encouraged that they've taken a step back. They've really focused on making sure the game is what they want it to be, and I, I hope that maybe that improves the end quality. But it's just it seems like a kind of a strange looking game from what I've seen of it so far. Have either of you guys played the demo? No, but I've seen some stuff from it. Yeah, negative. I haven't either, but I've heard good things. I, I was going to say, do either, uh, the other thing I was going to ask was, do you, either of you guys remember back when uh, 15 was 13 versus? Yes. I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> and also, like, to your point, Smile, like, I mean, it's funny because 15's been taken, it's taken so long to come out, but look at what, like, that hasn't stopped Final Fantasy games from coming out. It's just kept no. 15 from coming out, right? And, and honestly, like, I know 13 had mixed reviews, but there are a number of people who like 13. I don't know that I've ever heard anything positive about the sequels to 13, 13 2, and 13 3. You know, I feel like yeah. I've heard universal scorn for those games. And so hopefully this 15 yeah, can I play, turn I played most of 13, and I had no interest in either of those two titles uh, but yeah i mean we'll, we'll see i mean it's hard to say always like square enix is so big now that that there's so many different developing mint teams that it's hard to say who's working on what and is it the same people from 13 is it you know i know like the the lead on final fantasy 15 changed midway through and that's part of the reason for the delay so a lot of questions there. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left, so I think uh, let's each give one more quick franchise, just kind of a quick overview of, of something that maybe we don't need to go into as much depth on, and then we'll then we'll get a, then we'll take us on out of here. Is Van? We got. Final, I think final the uh, the next one, um, kind of um, similar for the reasons why you think Final Fantasy needs to take a break, is the Sim City uh, franchise. Um, reason being is I know it was a long time coming between Sim City uh, five and like two thousand or even four. But I think with 
what happened was the poor release of the most recent one, which was five. Um, I I think it. I don't know how many people will be ready to rush straight into SimCity Six if it were to come out soon. Uh, I think that one is one that the fans need a break from for a little bit. Maybe it was a good thing that we had like a decade between you know SimCity and and you know its predecessors or SimCity Five and and two thousand and whatnot. Um, just to clarify, there are seven hundred and eighteen freaking Pokemon. By the way, damn. A lot of Pokemans. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Van. I think sometimes it's not that the game is overdone. Sometimes it's that a game is is bad enough that you want people to have a little time to get the bad taste out of their mouth, right? Yep. All right, Shy. What's your final uh, final franchise to speak of today? Um, I was going to just mention the God of War series, another series close to my heart, um, one that I played through all three games. Um, and uh, but once again, I think uh, you know, I mean. The term trilogy exists for a reason, and uh, and I think and there've been there've been filler games, but there's the core games: God of War, God of War Two, God of War Three. Um, and uh, and I think they've they've talked. They basically have already leaked that a God of War Four is coming, and I just don't know what they're gonna do, and, and it kind of worries me a little bit. You know, I mean, are they? You know, anyone who's played God of War Three kind of knows. I think the issue I ha- I would probably have narrative wise, like what else is there to do in the game? Um, do they go to like other? I mean, the one cool thing they could do I could see doing is maybe go to a new like area of mythology, like explore like some. Norse, like yeah. Norse mythology or Egyptian <laughs> mythology actually go into like a whole other like cool. like thing but I mean I think there needs to be purpose maybe bring a new protagonist in you know I, you know you need to like you need to bring you know I think Kratos has seen his, his time and and I, I I'm just I'm I'm very hesitant about about any future iterations of that franchise Fair enough yeah I, I like the God of War series but yeah there's only there's only so many gods that you can kill in the in a pantheon before there's none left right or that you've already killed them before so what what are we really doing here right uh final game we want to talk about and we're not even going to talk about it, it's the assassin's creed series we've talked about it in the past um i i love the assassin's creed season series from from back in the day but i'd i'd love to see them just kind of take a break from it take it out of the maddenization uh give it a couple years and really come out with something that's different and they did a good job with black flag in making it really different um, I think they need to kind of reinvent themselves and not just say, well, now it's Assassin's Creed in a different time period. Like, we need a little bit more substance, I feel like. That's Origin, right? Um, That's you play. I know, you, I'm just kidding. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. All right. <laughs> if you listen to any of our past <laughs> podcasts. Yes, uh, enough for you that. I'm sorry uh... for you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Focus Target. Uh, if you want to contact us, we'd love to hear your feedback, good, bad, or, uh, or otherwise. Uh, we can be found on the Twitter at at Focus Target. Uh, you're probably watching us on YouTube. We do have our Focus Target YouTube channel. We can be emailed at FocusTargetPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we also have a blog, which is FocusTarget.wordpress.com. Uh, next time, we will have another special guest for you, uh, and we will be talking about Destiny, uh, the PlayStation 4 and Xbox console game that was made developed by Bungie, the former makers of Halo, who moved on to a new conquest. Uh, it's got a new expansion coming out, so we wanted to, to kind of do a podcast about about the you know the ins and outs. King, baby. The Taken King is the is the new expansion. So we'll have a guest, uh, a guy that uh, we've referenced a couple times, Bentendo, who has played some Destiny with us in the past, and uh, uh, we'll share some of his inside thoughts on that. So uh, please look forward to it. Uh, uh, as always, we definitely appreciate your uh, attendance here on our podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, I am Smiley. 
This is Shyrule. And I'm Van. As always, cover us, Porkins. We're out.